This is episode 267 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, What Civil Unrest is Really Like, We Survived the Ferguson Riots, and It's Time to Bug Out, But Where Will You Go? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, welcome, welcome. Hey, if you are new to the podcast or you have never subscribed, I'd like to welcome you to do that in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast network. And that way you make sure you never miss another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, before we get started, I'd like to remind you that the deal for the Survival Hacks flashlight, uh, where you can get it, it's a 1,000 lumen flashlight, and you can get it for $9.99, is still going on. Uh, I, I'm an affiliate. I mean, it's an it's a Amazon affiliate. Uh, I do make, I make 40 cents. <laughs> so guys, I'm not really pushing this to make money. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing this because I think it's a really great flashlight, and it's a really great deal. So you get this 1,000 uh, lumen flashlight, with a rechargeable battery and the charger for $9.99 when you you use the coupon code. And so uh, I will link to it in the show notes, and you can go check that out. And uh, if you you haven't already, I think it's a great deal. All right, our first article, this is a very interesting one because in Prepper website, or, or on Prepper website, I have in the past linked to a lot of articles on riots. But this article here actually talks about uh, first-hand experience with a couple and their family who experienced the Ferguson riots. And uh, I think it's just their insight is interesting for those who've never maybe uh, read a first-hand account of, uh, you know, dealing with a riot. I, th- I think it's very telling, and there's a lot of great information here. So I, I hope you enjoy it. I mean, it's, you know, it's serious, it's serious content and uh, information, but I hope you enjoyed as far as, you know, understanding that, you know, there's some lessons learned here that you can apply to uh, your survival situation. So let's go ahead and uh, start reading this one. Uh, Actually, this one comes from theorganicprepper.com. Forgot to mention that one. Uh, Again, theorganicprepper.com, and it's entitled, What Civil Unrest is Really Like? We Survived the Ferguson Riots. All right, so let's go ahead and start reading. When I mention the year 2014, do any events stand out in your mind? Some of you may think of births of family members or special anniversaries or incredible vacations that you took. You know the kind, the ones you wish you could take every year because they were just that amazing. Yeah, I love those too. But when I think of 2014, two things come to mind. Let's start with the second event. We moved, usually a fun thing, in November of 2014. But the reason we moved was because of another event that began in August of 2014 and continued through the end of 2014 and beyond. The first thing that I will always think of when I hear the year 2014 are the images of destruction from my town of Ferguson, Missouri. Images of the riots that we saw and experienced firsthand while driving down streets were ruined, ran rampant. Say that five times fast. Businesses were destroyed. Personal property was demolished. It wasn't even safe to leave your house depending on where in Ferguson you live. So here's some background details. 
We considered moving to Ferguson in the fall of 2001. We were expecting twins and decided to buy a house in an affordable suburb of St. Louis. We had friends who lived in the area and they liked it. What greater reference to the quality of the community than someone who already lives there, right? We found a great starter house on the corner of two of Ferguson's four main streets. The house we chose to purchase had a small backyard, a decent-sized front yard, and room for the two children we were expecting at the time to play. We purchased the house in December of 2001 and lived there between 2001 and 2014. We had our twins the following summer, and over the years, we added three more children to our family. In August of 2014, our children's ages were 12, 12, 8, 7, and 3. We pulled into our driveway on the afternoon of August 10th, 2014, having just gotten back from our trip out of town. After tucking the kids into bed, I got some things in order and started working on a project at my desk when a friend of mine messaged me asking if I was all right. Okay, that was a rather odd question out of the blue. I told her I was fine and asked her why she was asking. She told me that there were riots going on in Ferguson. That one sentence changed the course of my life, literally. I knew my friend and I trusted her, but you know that feeling. The one that says it can't be as bad as she's making it out to be? Yeah, it's real and it's called normalcy bias. According to Wikipedia, which I've been told never to quote, Normalcy bias is a belief people hold when facing a disaster. It causes people to underestimate both the likelihood of a disaster and its possible effects because people believe that things will always function the way things normally have functioned. End quote. I didn't know it at the time, but that was exactly what was going on in my head. It can't be that bad because nothing like this has ever happened to me before. But since I knew she wouldn't lie to me, I opened a new tab on my browser and started looking up riots in Ferguson. One of the local news stations was running live coverage on their website. I watched for a moment, then I called my husband over, and both of us watched aghast at what we were seeing. There was a wall of police and a mass of rioters. As we watched and listened online, we saw and heard screaming and yelling, threatening gestures, profanities being hurled. I saw one side move forward and the other side move back. The they both or then both groups shifted towards either the left or the right. It was almost like watching a sinister dance, but this was a dance that took a dark turn fast. That night things got out of control. Businesses were burned, stores were looted, most of them were still about a mile away from us. We watched and we were saddened, but there was no reason to believe that But the events were going to get closer to us. We were safe, right? Yeah, there was that normalcy bias again. I'm just putting a picture from Google Maps in here to show you where things were happening and where we live. So there is this uh, picture from Google Maps and she, she's laid out where, you know, exactly where like the riots were and, and different stores and where their house was. You'll notice three main north-south streets, West Florissant. This is the street right off of which Michael Brown was shot and where the riot started. Elizabeth, the street we live on, and North Florissant, the westmost of the main north-south streets. The main east-west streets that you see had several different names. Chambers and Hereford are two shown on the map. Our house was on the corner of Chambers and Elizabeth. Despite what happened during that night, 
During the next day, things felt rather normal. The sun was shining. Kids were walking to school across the corner from our house. Cars were driving by where we lived just like usual. But it was an uneasy, eerie feeling. It was like the calm that occurs when the eye of a hurricane passes over you and the sun comes out like life is happy and normal and there's nothing to worry about until the second half of the hurricane hits you. But of course, night follows day. And with the next night, there was more unrest. Again, thankfully, it was mostly contained about a mile from us. But the riots didn't stop. The cycle of fairly calm days and vicious nights continued the next few days. By Wednesday, we had seen that this wasn't going to go away quickly. The protests seemed to be growing each evening at least a little. So Thursday, I packed several suitcases and put them in the back of the van where they stayed. Bug out bags are okay, but if you know there's a good chance you're going to have to leave for a few days or permanently if our house was burned, it's better to have three changes of clothes and night clothes for each person than to have just one. The question started growing in our minds. When do we leave? We knew our family needed to be protected. How close to our house is too close? I've read articles where people talk about bugging out like there is that one right moment to bug out. Anything before that is just worry. Anything after that is foolishness. There is no cut and dried perfect time to leave while you are living in a dangerous situation. The struggle is real. You don't want to leave too soon and foolishly waste resources or overtake friends' houses unnecessarily. On the other hand, you don't want to get caught in the middle of the turmoil and not be able to make it out with your family. The truth is there is no way to know when it is the exact right time to leave until after that moment happens. We waited, wondered if we should leave, and watched. Friday night, though, we had a lot more to watch. That night, the riots broke out in the area of Ferguson, in which they had previously been contained. Rioting, looting, and burning spread all the way from the area in which it started north almost two miles to the highway. It also spread across the city over to New Fluorescent Road. Our Walgreens, Little Caesars, and Shop and Save, our grocery store, were all on different corners of the intersection of West Fluorescent and Chambers, Hereford. They were only about one quarter to one half a mile from our house. All of them were looted. Again, we felt the torn feeling. Do we stay or do we leave at 1 a.m.? Do we wake up the kids and wake up our friends? My parents also lived in Ferguson, so it's not like we could go to their house for a few nights to escape the turmoil. We hated to be a burden on our friends outside the area. I know it sounds silly. Our friends would have been happy to put us up, but that really does weigh on your decision. Going to a hotel wasn't really an option. That cost a lot of money that, at the time, we didn't have. We stayed that night and didn't sleep much. As the next day dawned, though, we witnessed the, the destruction. Then everything changed. There was something else that was evident the next morning, too. Now that the riots had turned more violent and moved to the other side of our house, I had lost my sense of security. That might sound like a dull moment, but until something like this happens, it's hard to realize just how deep your sense of security had been and just how much is now gone. It was that normalcy bias that I talked about earlier. It was then that I realized things weren't going to get better quickly. With our sense of security gone, practical things changed for us. We could no longer sit out on our porch swing. Our children weren't allowed outside. The blinds were kept pulled all day long. We didn't leave the house unless we absolutely had to. 
At night, we could literally smell the tear gas that was being hurled at people. On the night of Monday, August 18th, everything exploded again. Hundreds of protesters gathered in Ferguson. Rioters threw bottles at police before the group charged the officers. Almost 100 people were arrested that night. The next morning, we called our friends, loaded our children into the car, and decided that it was time for us to leave for a few days. We spent three days with friends about 30 minutes from Ferguson as things continued. After three nights of being away, when Governor Nixon recalled the National Guard from Ferguson, we found that our home was still standing and there was no physical damage to the property. We decided we really needed to return home. Things would never be the same. Upon our return, our attitude changed further. It's amazing the things you take for granted, like the stores at which you shop. I stopped shopping at my usual stores because I didn't want to shop in that area. I would travel five to eight miles out of town to go to a store when it had a counterpart less than a mile from me. We found a park near my husband's work and ate lunch with him and to let the kids play because they weren't going to play outside at home. We did what we could do to give the kids a sense of normalcy since we were living in this nightmare for months on end. The atmosphere during the following days continued to change as well. Gunshots in the streets became more frequent. We had heard them on occasion over the previous 13 years that we had lived there, but never like we heard after August 9th. There were fewer kids walking to school. Police sirens were heard crossing our corner almost hourly. It was about this time that my husband and I began to talk about relocating. We had been casually talking about the possibility of a job with a company located in central Illinois. We decided that this was the time to get more pointed and committed to the discussion with them. We didn't know how we were going to sell a house in the middle of a zone torn by riots, but we knew we couldn't continue living this way with five children. The unrest went on for longer than most people realized. What might surprise many readers is that the riots really lasted a long time for us. There was unrest almost every night for months. One night, I had to be out teaching a class. When I came home, the kids all told me about how the protesters had walked from the, from the memorial on West Florescent North to Chambers Hereford where they turned west, and then when they reached North, New Florescent, they turned south and went to the police station. This took them right by our front yard. As a matter of fact, the crowd was so big that there were some who overflowed into our yard. The police had a helicopter with its searchlight or spotlight pointed into our front yard to watch the protesters at one point. It was a sensational event for a couple of my children, but it really frightened several, several of my children. Some of our children started to exhibit signs of emotional trauma. Incidents of bedwetting increased, and our youngest child even refused to sleep in a bed by himself. We had children that were frightened to go out to the car if it wasn't in the garage. Between August and October, when we were home, we lived exclusively indoors. We continued to take multiple trips each week to parks near my husband's work. The kids would play and my husband would join us for lunch. We had a library that we loved to go to where the kids didn't have to worry about whispering. We went there at least once a week. It was hard helping the kids find a sense of normal in the midst of daily turmoil. They had seen some very frightening events firsthand. But time continued on, despite the fact that there was still unrest almost every night, television stations stopped broadcasting about the riots. Everyone was tired of hearing about them, so all of a sudden, in the media, it was like the riots didn't exist, but they did for us. By this time, our home was on the market, of course, without a prospect on the horizon. 
We were getting close to a job deal with the company in central Illinois. Moving was starting to look like a real possibility. Once we reached October, there was a whole month of activities planned by activists called Ferguson October. Fortunately, the events of Ferguson October were listed online. When we were checking it out, we saw that there was going to be a big event in Ferguson in for the entire weekend. Again, we were torn, but we didn't need our children to be subjected to any more of the violence, so we decided to pack up and leave the town for the weekend. We stayed with some friends in Illinois. Not much came of that weekend, though. We finally relocated. Eventually, despite my husband's well-paying, secure job in St. Peter's, Missouri, we moved from Ferguson to a small city in central Illinois in November. November actually ended up having the worst violence of our whole time in Ferguson. We planned on leaving Ferguson on November 20th, but on November 17th, Governor Nixon declared a state of emergency in anticipation of the verdict in the case of the police officer who shot Michael Brown. No matter what the outcome, violence was anticipated. When we heard that, we left. We packed up our belongings on November 18th and drove to a friend's house in central Illinois. We wouldn't be taking possession of our rental house until November 20th, but all indications were that things were going to get out of hand. Yeah, that was the understatement of the year, and considering the year we had, that says something. The verdict of not guilty came out of November 24th and carnage ensued. Shops that had been looted before were now burned. Shops we had used for years on end were gone, never to be rebuilt, or at least not rebuilt as the business they were in the past. There had been an attempt at a deal between the city of Ferguson to bring in a CVS drugstore. With everything that happened, CVS refused to move into the neighborhood. Other stores, which hadn't been destroyed, pulled out as well. We still had to come back to finish cleaning out our home in the hopes of selling it. We saw the devastation firsthand again. This event affected us permanently. While we missed our house and our neighborhood, we would have missed it even if we had stayed. I have friends who still live in Ferguson and they told me that there is still violence from time to time and that it doesn't have the same atmosphere as before the riots. When we moved, our salary was greatly diminished and our expenses were higher, but our children were able to play outside again. It took years for our house to sell and we took an enormous loss. They were able to climb trees in our own yard again. We rarely heard sirens anymore. In many ways, my children were able to bounce back. It was worth every bit, the cost of moving, and more. Even now, though four years later, from time to time, I still notice residual actions or insecurities that I believe were brought on by what we lived through in Ferguson. Those events changed each of us. They made us a little more streetwise. They brought us a little more sense of awareness around us. So what we learned. So if I could leave you with a few takeaways, they would be these. Don't think it could never happen to you. We lived in a small town surrounded by wonderful people. I would never have dreamed in my wildest nightmares that we'd be enveloped in civil unrest of any magnitude, let alone that magnitude. Being ready for the unexpected is a must. I have a friend who asked me why in the world she should keep items together like a bob or a grab-and-go bag in case they had to evacuate. Sure, she lives on the Florida Peninsula, but they always have some notice before a hurricane, right? This is why. You never know when you literally have five minutes to be out of the house before unrest of one sort or another reaches you. Learn to use social media to your advantage. During the whole situation, Twitter was our best friend. 
we would stalk Twitter and most specifically hashtag Ferguson on Twitter. What we saw either could keep us in our homes or evacuate us at a moment's notice. If we needed to leave the house, we always checked hashtag Ferguson on Twitter. We would be able to see where the protests were and which was the safest way out of the city. Hey guys, just my two cents. That's what I've talked about with Twitter and that's how I use it just for news. Um, and that's why I don't follow, you know, people back. Uh, everybody that I have is just news. So uh, very interesting there. Um, having items that you keep in your car all the time is very helpful in case you ever need to leave quickly. We keep various tools, foods, drinks, food aid kits, and more in our family vehicle. You never know when having them in your car is the difference between you having something and you having nothing. And then watch for the effects that stressful situations may be having on your children. Learn to notice the difference and so and do what you can to mitigate what they are going through. If you can't actually stop what they are going through, then do what you can to help them and have a sense of normalcy in the midst of it. For us, routines helped. It was also helpful to learn where we could go that was safe so that our children could get out their energy. Extra time with parents and extra snuggle time with those children who need it are also vital. I want to leave you with one final thought. Earlier I mentioned normalcy bias. You know what? You most likely have that, even if you're a prepper. By the time the Ferguson riots hit, I was a prepper. Maybe not a very good one, but a prepper nonetheless. Yeah, I was prepping for some unnamed event out there in the future that might happen to me, but when it did happen to me, in many ways, it still didn't seem real. There's another part of Wikipedia's definition I didn't mention before. Quote, this normalcy bias may result in situations where people fail to adequately prepare themselves for disasters, end quote. Don't be that person. Don't be that person who doesn't prepare for anything because they think that everything is just going to be the same as it always was. Don't be the person who lives in denial of a terrible event ever happening to them. It can happen to you and it might happen to you. I never dreamed that my family would have to face our home severely damaged by a tornado or that we'd live through the Ferguson riots or even that we'd be attacked by a knife wielding teenager bent on killing everyone at our chess club. We didn't plan for any of that to happen to us, but it did. Learn, practice, and prepare yourself mentally as well as physically so that if a life-altering event happens to you, you can face it and come through the other side more wise and capable than when you went in. All right, so the author was Karen Morris. Um, good job there, Karen, and uh, thanks, Daisy, for posting this over on your website. Uh, good information there, firsthand accounts and uh, how easily the riots can move. When you look at the the map that she created, I mean, and she was talking about like being a mile out. Uh, you know, the, the, the riots had to travel to where she was at. And so very scary there because very easily it could have turned where people were not only rioting and, or looting the stores, but they started breaking into homes. I mean, it easily could have turned into that. Um, the fact that, you know, it always works that way where people start getting tired. I mean, when uh, tired of watching uh, the news over and over again on, on the same stuff, 
So, you know, Ferguson was a very hot topic. We were uh, watching it all the time. I I mean, I know I was uh, posting articles. Uh, I was following it on Twitter. I was following people that were broadcasting from there, all that kind of stuff. And then it it did kind of just fizzle out. But uh, it fizzled out for those of us who weren't in Ferguson, you know, and that's always uh, a situation. Um, You know, I'm sure that racial tensions are still pretty high there and uh, something that's you know still kind of uh, on edge and something that you always have to deal with so a uh, good article there and some uh, practical advice and uh, just some real world experience that we can uh, apply to our own uh, you know knowledge so next time we're in a situation like that we can kind of draw from that and make uh, make good decisions again guys that's over at the organicprepper.com go check that one out Our next article comes to us from Modern Survival Blog, modernsurvivalblog.com. And on Friday, I always go into the archives of Prepper website and I pull out an old article that, uh, you know, that's still very relevant. This one is from 2014, so May 5th, 2014. So, uh, you know, it's a couple of years old, Um, actually more than a couple of years, about three years old. And uh, it's entitled, It's Time to Bug Out, But Where Will You Go? It's a very interesting one and one that always comes up. So I'm going to go ahead and read this one. Think about this. You live either in the city or in the densely populated metroplex of suburbia immediately surrounding the city. One afternoon while you are at work, the power goes out. You don't think much of it at first, but after an hour or so, you discover that the power outage is not just localized to your vicinity, but instead it appears that the entire city is dark and you're hearing that it might be very widespread. What do you do? The boss tells everyone to go home. There's nothing more that can be done that day. See you tomorrow. Go home. You head out and into a mass of snarled traffic as the traffic lights are out and everyone is heading home because of the blackout. You finally make it home in two hours, a drive that normally takes you just 30 minutes, and you discover that your spouse had just made it home moments earlier. You start to talk about what has happened. You remember that you have a portable battery-powered AM-FM shortwave radio in your preps. You turn it on and notice that you cannot find any FM stations at all, but you do find several AM stations which are broadcasting emergency news and information, and they say they're running on generation backup power. They are reporting that the power outage is apparently very widespread and is affecting regions well beyond your region. No one seems to know how bad or why. It seems that based on emergency radio reports, a significant portion of the country is under a blackout. Reports are sketchy. What do you do? Would you bug out? Here are a few thoughts. If I discovered that the blackout was very widespread, this would indicate that the cause and chain reaction is very significant, potentially long-lasting, leading to the possibility that the grid may be down for much more than a fairly short period of time. If the cause is suspected to be one which is potentially more catastrophic than otherwise, and if I lived in a densely populated region which could become dangerous, I would likely activate my bug out plan. Reason being, any widespread blackout as hypothesized in this scenario will likely take a long time to get back online, and that is assuming that there has been relatively little damage to the infrastructure. Worse yet, possibly much worse, If it turns out that the widespread blackout is the result of an attack, an EMP or major X flare or otherwise, and or a serious event 
which has damaged key EHV transformers on the grid, it might mean that our world is about to change in a very big way. I would, under those suspected circumstances, definitely leave the area if I lived in or near the city. I would leave because if the event turned out to be long-lasting, I could become trapped in a rapidly deteriorating, socially chaotic, and very dangerous environment as desperate people begin to do desperate things when their food, water, gas, and supplies run out. I have an advantage, though, because I know that most people will be initially paralyzed with indecision. Their normalcy bias will keep them waiting for the lights to come back on. This will be the golden opportunity time to get out before the SHTF. The safe window of opportunity will be short-lived, however. So here's the question. It's time to bug out, but where will you go? I ask the question with the hope that you will ask yourself that question before the disaster. Asking yourself that question after the disaster may prove to be too late to make a wise decision. Communication systems will mostly be down and offline. If you haven't planned for it ahead of time, you really may not have much of a clue what to do and where to go, or if you even should go. Well, here are a few ideas. First of all, be sure to always have a quantity of cash on hand so that during an emergency and the time immediately following a disaster, when others may be scrambling to procure items which they need, ATMs being offline and or electronic transactions are not functioning, you will have the cash to pay for last-minute items or services. Consider the scenario I just described. If you are en route on a bug out away from the city and you need to stay at a motel, paying with cash will ensure that you get a room, assuming there's room. Almost everyone uses electronic currency today, so if that system crashes, even temporarily, those with cash will have a better chance of procuring last-minute items or services for a while. The key to the bug out will be to get to a location that is far enough away from the densely populated city or region or metropolis such that you stand a better chance of avoiding the resulting chaos if there is to be chaos. Better safe than sorry. You can always return back home if it's a false alarm. Have you planned on where you would go? How you would feed yourself? If you've considered relatives who live out in the country, will they be okay when you show up at their door? If you have relatives or friends that live in a potentially safer area away from densely populated regions, you may bring it up in conversation sometime and question whether they would be willing to have you show up at their door should such a circumstance or evacuation come to pass. The point is to think about an evacuation and where you should go. Be sure that you have enough fuel for your vehicle to get wherever you plan to go. Always keep your gas tank nearly topped off. Never go below half a tank. Get in the habit of keeping it full. Consider keeping extra fuel stored safely in proper gas cans at home so that you could bring it with you should you ever need to hit the road. Keep at least a 72-hour kit in your vehicle, enough food and water for three days. Have several hotel motel choices picked out away from the city and have maps and know how to get there without GPS. It will be very important to know routes that avoid major freeways as they may become clogged. Know the back roads to your destination. Have cash to pay for your stay. If the disaster scenario is repairable and relatively short-lived, you can simply return home later. If the disaster turns into a nightmare scenario, SHTF, you will be safer than you otherwise would have been as the social chaos back home 
will be unfolding in a very bad way as people become hungry and desperate. The objective within this article is not about listing the things and preparations that you may need. This site is filled with suggestions in other articles. But to encourage you to think about it, do you have what you need? If you had to, where would you go? Would you go? What are the criteria for bugging out? Know the roads and routes to bug out. There are lots and lots of ducks to get in a row while considering this subject of bugging out. And there are also many circumstances and scenarios whereby it will be better to stay put. This is very largely to do with you, where you live, your local environment, your preps, your neighbors, your population density, the expectation of disaster recovery, the level of SHTF, etc. It will be a judgment call based on many things. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on a notion of bugging out, your criteria for bugging out, how bad does it have to be, and if you had to bug out, where would you go? What would, you, what would be your contingency plans? What are the things that you would factor in in order to make a decision whether to stay or go? There's 41 comments here in, uh, in the comment section, so you can go check out what people uh, share here. But interesting one where you're kind of thinking about or getting you to think about what would you really do? You know, if you had to bug out, what would you do? Where would you go? Who would you stay with? Um, how would you go about doing it? I know some people talk about going to like uh, camping, you know, going to a, you know, when I've talked to people about prepping and uh, people who are, who are not preppers or really don't have a, a, a clue, they, they really look at things like extended camping, you know. And uh, really, camping, I mean, camping is fun for the weekend. Camping is fun for a week. But uh, when you are out there and, and you are not used to camping and you go out there, and you're not going to stay. Uh, that's not a permanent solution is what I'm trying to say. Uh, you normally don't have a ton of food uh, to live off of. And then, you know, where, where are you going to go after that? So camping or going to a campground is a very temporary solution. Do you have a more permanent solution of what you would do and, and how you would handle things. And then at that, you know, you're thinking about all the supplies you're taking with you. Can you take, uh, you know, how many supplies can you realistically take, right? That's one thing to uh, to think about. So uh, hopefully this will get you thinking, get the, the, the juices flowing. And uh, that's over at modernsurvivalblog.com. And you can always, uh, like always, I link to them in the show notes and you can go directly to it and read the comment section if you uh, if you're interested in that. Well, guys, that's it for episode 267. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode and spending your week with me. I really do appreciate it, and I do value uh, your listenership. Hey, if you are looking for more preparedness information this weekend, remember that the Prepper website uh, is updated every single evening and with uh, the best preparedness content, and you can always go and check that out. Uh, don't forget also that uh, we invite you to come over to the Facebook group and be a part of that group over there, and uh, you know, get to know some of the people, and uh, or you can just decide to lurk if you want to do that. You don't have to uh, really participate until you feel comfortable. Uh, you com- comfortable doing that. Uh, also, uh, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and uh, I'd love to do that with listeners out there and just kind of see who you are and, and what you're doing out there. Uh, that's always great to do. So, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.